0: Does that sound like fun? So that's what we're going to tackle today. And uh, so let's let's pray and ask God to help us. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you can look on a person, a human, just like me, just like anyone sitting here. Full of things that we've done wrong. Full of sins like David sinned hard, big time but he was still referred to as a man after your heart. And so, Lord, I pray, that's what I'm hungry for. I want to one day stand before you and you refer to me as a man after your heart. And Lord, that's my prayer for everyone here, that we have that same desire, that same hunger to actually be, to actually echo your heart. Speak to us, Lord, we invite you to today through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I love having kids around, uh, and so I, I've, I thought we'd start with a little bit of a kid's spot, but rather than me do a kid's spot, hey kids, why don't you have a look at the screen, and I've got a little video. Do you want to move this? I've got a video uh, all about David, and one of his most famous stories of David. I wonder if you can see what it is.
1: story. that, he didn't mind being misunderstood. Anyway, while David was there, he saw a huge Philistine man, more than 9 feet tall, step onto the field between the two armies. He was wearing a thick helmet, and armor, and carrying huge weapons. His name was Goliath, and he was definitely used to being the winner. David found out that Goliath had been stepping onto the field like this every morning for the past 40 days and saying, Give me a man and let us fight each other. But nobody from Israel was brave enough to fight him, even the king. Well, David didn't like that this giant was intimidating the Israelites. After all, they were God's special family. And because God was with the Israelites, they could have courage in any situation. So David, who wasn't even a soldier, told the king, I'll fight against him. Now the king thought David was too small. But he really wanted someone to fight Goliath. So he gave in. And David knew he wasn't strong enough to beat Goliath by himself. But he believed God would be with him. So he said, the Lord will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The king hoped David was right. He even had his own weapons and armor put on David. But they didn't fit him. David decided to go into battle in his regular clothes. That's how sure he was that God would help him. Anyway, David went to a nearby stream and chose five smooth stones to use with his slingshot. Then he walked onto the battlefield to meet the massive Goliath. When Goliath saw how wimpy David looked, he was furious. He thought he'd get to fight the Israelites' strongest warrior. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David might have looked like a wimp, but he was actually really brave. In fact, he was so brave that when he was taking care of sheep, he fought off bears and lions. Because God helped him protect his sheep, David knew God would help him protect this special family. David said, you come at me with a sword, but I come at you with the name of the Lord Almighty. He was explaining to Goliath that God was more powerful than anything. He also added that he would feed Goliath's flesh to the birds, which made the giant even more mad. Then David took a stone, put it in the slingshot, and slung it at Goliath. Goliath didn't even get a chance to swing a sword, because the stone hit him right in the forehead and sunk in deep. He face-planted straight into the ground. Nobody could believe it. Then David ran over, took hold of the giant's sword, and drew it from the sheath. He took the sword and cut off Goliath's head. David carried the head all the way back to Jerusalem. And when the Philistine army realized Goliath was dead, they started running away like a bunch of scaredy cats. The Israelites chased the Philistines, shouting loudly. They had won. God used David, who was just an average kid, to rescue his people. And that's the story of David and Goliath. So, in case you missed it, here's the quick version. David was a shepherd. He brought his brothers lunch. He saw Goliath. Goliath scared everybody. David wasn't scared. He knew God was stronger. David fought Goliath. He used one stone. God helped him kill Goliath. The Israelites won. God's people were saved. And that's a part of God's story.
0: Okay. Did you guys enjoy that? Is Has anyone got a voice? Still no, come on, I can see my daughter loves to speak. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, yeah, okay, she's gobsmacked. David, a man after God's own heart. This is a phrase that we still use today, right? Like, I went to breakfast with one of the local pastors this week. He took me to Dome, he shouted me bacon and eggs, big warm hot breakfast, coffee, and when he ordered the same thing that I wanted to order, I was like, oh, look at that, a man after my own heart. Like we're familiar with this phrase, right? We still use it. And when we use this phrase, we often what we mean is that oh you think just like me or you like the things just like I do. You act the same way that I do. You just like me. But as we're talking about God referring to a person having his heart. It's it's, it's it's a bit tall, right, for us to accept the concept that David could be just like God, that David could think just like God, could act just like God. Because the truth is, we are, we, we've got his biography written down in First and Second Samuel. And if you're familiar with it, you know that actually David, he did do pretty good at following God's ways most of the time, but he also is a murderer and an adulterer. Uh, etc. Like he didn't get everything right all the time at all. And and he sinned big time. And uh, I know, so how could then, even in the book of Acts, which was many years later, he's still referred to as a man after God's heart. So how is this the case? How is this the case? Well, let's do a little bit of background first. Um, So when God's people were in Egypt, and they come out of Egypt, and that's when they started officially becoming known as God's people, God's chosen people. They were different. They were different from every other nation, because they were his nation. They were his people. He was their God, and they were his people, and he, in fact, was the king. God was the king of the nation of Israel. You with me so far? They're different from every other nation. In fact, they were told to be different from every other nation. They were told, in fact, "Yet yeah, no, no, I am your king. I am your leader." Now, God would appoint uh, people. He would appoint judges and prophets to lead His people to be the physical representation of His leadership in with those people. So that's the book of Judges. What's, is this me? That's the book of Judges, and that's the, the and Samuel is the is the prophet who was leading the nation at this time, and so he, he was a prophet. So. God did have people leading his people, but uh, they were all their job description was to be getting all of their direct from God. Is that me? Okay, how about now? I would promise to stand still, but I think that's impossible. So these people were different. We can read it uh, the first time that they asked for a king. And it was actually a rebellious moment. So I'm I'm just going to read, I'm just going to jump all over David's story. And we're just going to start in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. The verses will be on the screen. But if you have your book, if you have your Bibles there, uh, most of what we're going to be reading is from the book of 1 Samuel. So you can flick there. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 7. And uh, this is the people speaking to Samuel. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. That's not nice. Kids. Uh, my kids call me old all the time. It's not, it's, not, it's not nice. But it's true. So they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Note that Verse. Now appoint a king to lead us just like all the other nations have. Verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not that they have rejected. It's not you that they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. So there it says it right there. God was in fact the king, and by them asking for a king to be just like everyone else, they were in fact rejecting God himself as their king. Have you ever felt like this? Wanting to be just like everyone else? Even if it actually takes you away from what God's asked? desiring to be, oh, we want to be just like those people. Or even us as the, we are different. We are God's chosen people. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to run things different. Church is not supposed to be a business that looks and feels just like every other business. Yeah, we have some legal responsibilities, but we are God's people. And we should be led differently because he, in fact, is our leader. You with me? Uh, You'll hear me say it all the time. I am not the leader of this church. I just work here. God is the leader. He is the head of our church. All right? So, And that is what it's supposed to be. But we often don't understand God's ways. We don't, often don't understand what He's doing. We often can't comprehend His reasoning or His rationale. Why is this happening? And as Christians... It's not our role to understand everything that's going on. It's not our job description to have all this wisdom and to know everything. Our job description is to trust in the one who does. That's our role. We, uh, if if you here, have called Jesus Christ your Lord, that's in fact what that word means. It means master. It means boss. It means I'm no longer making my own choices because I've put you in that seat, Lord. David's job as king, as a godly king, wasn't supposed to be the one who knew everything every time. You'll notice, if you, look through, if you read through First and 2 Samuel, David was very good at asking God, should we go to battle? Should we do this? Should we not do this? Now, one of the most amazing stories, which I've not planned to talk about, is when his, his family was all captured. And, and I don't know, if that was me, it wouldn't even be a question. I'd be rallying everyone and grabbing our weapons and going after him, But David had enough humility to stop in, and, and, and pray and say, God, is it your plan? Can we go after them? And of course, God said, yep, go. And be, but because he was humble enough to do that, because he recognized that, yeah, okay, they were his family, but God is God. He is the Lord. And he directs my path. It's, it's such a humbling and beautiful story, that. Uh, which, like, like I said, hadn't planned to talk about. <laughs> we belong to him. Even when life often feels out of control, our job is to go to his feet. And I think that's uh, a really strong lesson to be learned, even this early in this story. David hasn't even appeared on the scene yet in this story. But the people turned their way from God, trying to be just like everyone else. Let me just reiterate that. We are, we are not called to be like everyone else. We are called to be children of God. Is that all right? Fantastic. Okay, ultimately this same attitude of wanting to be just like everyone else, of, of wanting to do things my way instead of God's way, that in fact is the same attitude that, that led King Saul, the very first king, to his downfall as well. So just, just briefly, I won't, I won't read it out, but just briefly what happened King Saul was appointed, and he looked the part, and he was blessed by God. Like God actually told Samuel to go and find him. God told him and led him, but Samuel, uh, sorry, Saul, uh, and he looked the part, and he, and he did have a heart to follow God. But there was this one point. This is the point where he fell from God's grace. Okay, basically, what happened is they were out on the battlefield, and they were told to wait for Samuel to present this offering to God, and it was for the purpose of getting God's favor. For the, for the oncoming battle. You with me so far? You'll see this in First Samuel. And First Samuel chapter 13. Uh, and But what happened is Samuel was late. Uh, and when prophets are late, don't just assume that they're late. Maybe God has delayed them on purpose, all right? So, um, but he didn't assume that. And Samuel was late. It was like a whole day late. So Saul took it upon himself to offer the sacrifice. Now, he wasn't allowed to do that. That was the prophet's role. But he took it upon himself to offer that sacrifice. And uh, it's like, have you ever been like caught doing the wrong thing? It's like Samuel, the way it reads, Samuel walked in just as Saul was finishing. And he was like, oh, Samuel, you're here. By the way, we just went ahead and did it uh, because uh, you were late. So, so it's all good. Uh, we've, we've done it. And, but that is not... God's response and it wasn't Samuel's response this is their response and you'll see it in First Samuel 13 13 Samuel saying you have done a foolish thing Samuel said you have not kept the command of the Lord your God sorry you've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you if you had he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time so all of his generations would have been on the king, on the throne. But now your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people. Because you have not kept the command of the Lord. Wow. Such a simple thing. Saul thought it would have been okay. He thought, no, no, he wanted to honor God. He he. This, you need to understand this. Saul's heart was to honour God. He wanted to, for that sacrifice to be, on, to be done before they did anything else. Like his heart was in the right spot. Where he went wrong was, he did things in his own thoughts and his, he made decisions based on his own thoughts rather than based on what God had told him to do. The instructions were, wait for Samuel and then he will offer the sacrifice. But that's not what he did. He, again, just hear me. He wanted to do the right thing. He tried to do the right thing, but he did it in his own strength. He did it using his own brain and his own ideas rather than listening to God. And that is why God removed his favor from him. That is why, for the rest of his story, he's flailing in the dark. He becomes a bit of a bad guy. Uh, And God actually anointed this, this young man because he was a man after his own heart. And that is the key that I want you to keep on hearing today. And you hear me repeat it over and over again. This brings us to our, my first point, just to try and drive this home. Point one, to be a person after God's own heart is to love God and love His ways. In other words, obey Him. Love God and love His ways. Even if you don't understand it. Even if it doesn't make sense to you. Even if His timing feels wrong obey him, obey him, love his ways, understand, Saul thought he was the king, probably because he was the king, but that in the kingdom of Israel, that's not totally the truth, they were supposed to still remain under God's leadership, and he failed at that. The next thing that happened is Samuel went out and went to Jesse's house uh, and because and, he was told that God was going to anoint one of his sons, uh, which clearly was David. I'm just going to read this verse, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. So this is, Samuel is there, and Jesse's got a lot of sons. Uh, I think it was eight from memory. A lot of sons. And the first son, he was a big, strong, tall, good-looking lad. And Samuel thought, surely this is the one. And this is God's response to Samuel. I just want to highlight. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There is something about David that God truly loved, and that was the purity of his heart. He had a pure heart. And that really attracted God to him, and His favour was on him because, not because of the way he looked, not because of any of the any of the measures that mankind put on people, but actually because he loved his heart. In Acts thirteen twenty two, uh, this is what this is in one of Paul's sermons when he was addressing, and he made reference to David, and this is what he said: Acts thirteen twenty two. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And here's, the, here's, here's the, the key. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. This is why he was known as a man after God's own heart. From God's perspective, because he will do everything I want him to do. This is God's testimony of the boy, David. He was a young man at this point when God chose him. Quite young, but God knew his heart. He knew that because his heart was in the right place, that he could carry the burden of being a leader of of a nation, that he could carry the burden of being a king and do it graciously and remember that, in fact, God is still the one. God is still the leader. He saw that in David. I pray that this is how God sees me. I pray it's how he sees you too. I'm gifted to lead, but not because of the worldly, my worldly experience, not because of my worldly qualifications. Uh, if, if that was my leadership, then you, you wouldn't have chosen me because I'm not that... Experience, and I don't have that many qualifications. I'm qualified because I have a heart that seeks God. And if there's anything that I often have to repent of and come back to, it's that statement. It feels wrong in my mouth to say it out loud, to be truthful. But that is my goal. That is my goal, to be a man who keeps on coming back to God, to obey Him. He's the one who qualifies me. My job isn't to know everything or to know how to do everything, which is really lucky as Sean's stepping out of his role. I don't have a clue how to do the stuff he does. But that's all right. My job is to know and to trust God and know that He, he knows and He, he, he will guide And he'll put people around me to do all the other stuff. And this is your job too. So here's a question for you. What is God asking you to do in your life? What's he asking you to do? He's asked me to do this. And like I said, I actually, in in the natural, I feel drastically unqualified. And the only qualification I have is is God. (laughs) But what's he asking you to do? Maybe you feel unqualified as well. Just remember, our job isn't to be qualified in the natural. Obviously, there are certain jobs you have to be qualified for. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the way you feel, if God's asking you to do something that feels big and brave and bold, don't worry. If he's asking you to do it, he will do it with you. And that's all you need. That's all the qualification you need. Trust that he'll equip you and strengthen you and lead you. We work for Him. We work for Him. I often get asked that because people often talk to me about, oh, like, my job is a career, you know, because that's how we talk in today's day and age, right? Careers and advancement and for years, I've been a a youth pastor and a children's pastor for the last 23 years before I took this role. And so many people would come at me with this. Oh, when are you going to become a real pastor? I, I'm not even exaggerating. Those words came out of someone's mouth. What they meant was a senior pastor, but what they said was a real pastor. Um, and I was so offended. Because the truth is, I was—I—I I, I still believe I was doing the most important role that anyone could do, and that is training our next generation. Um, and I still believe that. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing who God brings in this next-gen coordinator's role. Because I, I really believe that's a key to... Uh, for us to honour God in this place. I can't remember what I was saying, so let's just go to the next point. Um, Point two, to be a person after God's heart is to have faith in God and trust Him. That's exactly what I was just saying. We need to have faith in God. That's our job description. We need to trust Him because He is trustworthy. David had incredible faith in God. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was with him. And when God was asking him to do something, he knew he could not fail. God had anointed him to be king. And so he knew that Goliath couldn't defeat him. Because God had had a plan for him. And he was feeling God's... He must have felt God's um, favor upon... uh, Otherwise, I doubt he would have gone up against Goliath. But he must have... He had so much faith in God... That he was willing to fight off a bear, he was willing to fight off a lion, and he was willing to fight Goliath. It's incredible. This story of David and Goliath is 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 such a story of faith and trust. Let me just read some of it. First, uh, Samuel seventeen. We're in chapter seventeen, verse thirty-three. This is the discussion that David was having with King Saul. Okay, which was a little bit on the screen. Verse thirty-three. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Was that the wrong thing to say? No, it was absolutely true. That's exactly what Saul should have said. David wasn't qualified. He was too young. He wasn't even a soldier. It was irresponsible for him to put this child out there. Absolutely. But then he saw something in David, and it's in his response. Verse 34. And David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, uh, I won't describe that. You can ask your parents later. Uh, This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Saul saw his faith. He saw that he wasn't afraid. And in comparison to the rest of his army, that's, he was more qualified because everyone else was afraid. And you can't go up against an enemy afraid. David had faith, so much faith. And his qualifications were, I've killed a bear and a lion... And don't worry, it's not me, it's God is with me. And so this guy is going to die. Wow. He had so much faith. David had unwavering faith. Why? Now, I believe it's because God had been preparing him in the quiet place. Why did, let me just repeat that. Why did David have this unwavering faith? It's because in the wilderness, out in the fields with the sheep, and no one else, potentially, probably no one else, in that quiet place, David spent a lot of time with God. Now, the Bible doesn't say that specifically, but I think it's certainly safe to assume it. Because he had this confidence in God that he would be with him. He had this confidence that even though coming up against opponents that were much bigger and stronger than him, like bears and lions, God had been developing a faith in him, that he he had the ability to fight him off. And he understood that it wasn't because of his strength, but it was because God was with him. How does God develop this faith in us? The truth is, the truth is we're all different. We're all different. And what would, what, how God works with one person isn't necessarily the same way he works with someone else. But when we look at David's story, now I'm just going to make some assumptions. But like I said, I think they're fairly safe. David out there in the wilderness, only the sheep to talk to and God. I think he spent a lot of time talking to God, just chatting to God. Certainly, we can see that in his character, that he had spent a lot of time with God. David was also a worshipper. We know that, actually, from uh, 1 Samuel 16. He was a known worshipper. He was a known musician. When King Saul needed a musician, one of his attendants said, Oh, I know one. David. It's David. He was known. He was a worshipper. And I believe he developed his skill out there in that quiet place with God. I think this is a really important thing for us to recognize about David. And he wasn't necessarily just like this man of faith from birth. That it actually was uh, fostered in in this time with God, out in the fields, out in this quiet place, out in the wilderness. And we also know he was a worshipper because he wrote a bunch of the Psalms. Does anyone want to hazard to guess how many Psalms David wrote? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't all of them. A lot of people think that the Psalms were written by David. He wrote a bunch of them. Anyone want to guess? Yeah? 300. There's actually not 300 Psalms in the Bible. 88. That's really close. It was 89. It was 75. He wrote 75 of the Psalms, which I believe, I didn't look this up, but maybe I should have, there's about 150 Psalms, rough, yep, 150 Psalms, so that's, by my calculations, half, right? He wrote half the Psalms, that's, he was such a worshiper, I'm going to read you one in a moment. Faith, this is something I just want to, I want to say, so he was, he prayed, now again, uh, we're assuming a little bit, but I think it's fairly safe. He prayed and he worshipped. He developed his relationship with God in those quiet places. That intimate relationship with God. And I think that's a key for us as well. Now, I'm, it's easy for me to say that I'm a worshipper. Like I, I'm a musician. I love to sing. You don't have to be a, a musician and you don't have to be able to sing to be a worshipper. Worship is the state of your heart. It's the posture of your heart. It's got nothing to do with music. Okay, just to be super clear on that. You can worship God doing laundry. You can worship God doing your gardening. You can worship God at work. In fact, we should. We should be people who are always putting God in front of us and thanking Him for what He's doing. But God developed him in this intimate, quiet place through prayer and worship, and I think that's a key that we can take home. We should be worshippers. We should be prayerful people. Pray all day long, without ceasing, the Bible says, in everything. In fact, I know a bunch of you work at a school. Uh, I I used to, in one of my roles previously, I was on the interview panel. I was the chaplain of a school, but I was on the interview panel because they wanted to only hire Christians. It's really hard to figure out if people are Christians or not. Um, But when I remember this particular one, we were hiring a grounds person Now, the truth is, how much does a grounds person, you know, the gardener and the maintenance guy, do they really need to be Christians? Well, in our school, they did. That was a a qualification. And so, I asked this question of one of them. I said, would you, as you're going around this property mowing and maintaining it, would you pray? All the time. And this one of them who actually knew, he came to my church, he said yes. And I was like, he's the one I want. Because prayer is so important. We should, we should be praying around our homes. We should be praying around our family. We should be praying around our workplaces. If you're having an issue, if you're having an issue at work or a school or in a community, start praying. Start praying. We, we Sean and I do this quite literally. In fact, we, we often prayer walk this out because we live next door. So we often prayer walk the whole property because we want God's kingdom to come here and we want God's will to be done here. And so we pray because that's our job description. We are people to be going to God, it's not up to us. You take everything to the Lord. The last point I want to make today, and it will be a fairly quick one. To be a person after God's own heart is to repent quickly. Repent quickly. Run back to him. Now, this is David. Now, as, uh, I'm not going to spell it out because it's not, this is not an 18-plus audience. Um, but we, we alluded briefly earlier that David didn't always get it right, did he? There was this season in his life, you know, where he stayed home from war. That was his first problem. He stayed home and did nothing. Um, it's not healthy. But then he got distracted and, and, and he um, saw a, a, a lady that he really liked the look of. And so he invited her over. Um, I'm just trying to say this in code, is that all right? Um, he invited her over and, and, and the truth is when she, he found out later on that she was pregnant, he actually went and had her husband killed. That's, that's the truth of exactly what happened. And he was one of David's mightiest warriors. He, he was so faithful to David, so faithful. But because of this little thing that David was trying to cover up, he, he actually had him killed. And then, after thinking that he got away with it, potentially, probably, he's the king. Who's going to confront the king, right? Well, in God's nation, the prophet. And there was this prophet named Nathan, and he came and confronted King David. And he gave him this beautiful little scenario without David's name in it. And David got so angry. Who would do this? That person should be put to death. And he was like, it was you. You did it. You took somebody else's wife. You're the one who had him killed. Now, there are other kings in history, if you know anything about history, there are other kings in history, and and they often have the power to simply change history. Just to kill people who know the truth, uh, throw them in jail, throw away the key, change history. No, that's not what happened, because I said, that's not what happened. He could have chosen that and sunk his heels in and been arrogant just like most of the other kings would have done. But that's not David. David didn't have that heart. He realized that he was caught. And instead of running away, instead of being arrogant, he actually chose to repent. So elaborately, he chose to repent and come back to the heart of God and begged for forgiveness. I'm just going to read a little bit of Psalm 51. And I'm just going to invite the music team, if you guys can start making your way back up. Psalm 51. Now, in my Bible, there's actually this little intro to Psalm 51. And it says, A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Like it says it. So this is the season in David's life. And he wrote these words. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He ran back to the heart of God. That's why he's known as a man after God's own heart. To be a person who follows God's heart, it's not about getting it right all the time. You need to know that. This world... You know, we've got this cancel culture. It was like people do something wrong, and that's it. Let's just remove them, delete them. That's that's the way of the world. It's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom. Yeah, God actually expects us to do the wrong thing from time to time. But what also what He expects from His children is that we run quickly back to His heart. We run and we repent. We fall on our knees and we ask for forgiveness. Following Jesus, being a son and daughter of God, is not about getting it right all the time. It's about repenting, about coming back. So to be a person who follows after God's own heart is to love God and love His ways, obey Him. To be a person after God's own heart is to have faith in God and trust Him. And to be a person after God's own heart is to repent quickly and run back to Him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your expectations on us. And that word, expectation, normally carries a heavy weight to it. But in the kingdom, that's not the case. Your burden is easy and, and, and your, your weights are light. Your expectation on us isn't about getting it right all the time. It's not about being perfect. It's about running back to a perfect God quickly. It's about owning the stuff we do wrong when we do wrong. Lord, help us be people who do that. Help us be people who obey you. And when we don't understand what it is you're asking us to do, help us be people that trust you, blindly even. Because you are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our obedience. And Lord, when we get it wrong, when we do our own thing, when we go our own way, help us be people who run back to your heart quickly. I think if Saul, when Samuel had walked in on him doing that sacrifice, if he had seen the look on Samuel's face and repented, the story would have finished quite differently, I think. Your expectation on us isn't always to get it right, but it is to run back to you quickly when we discover we've done wrong or when we've intentionally done wrong. Lord, help us be humble. Help us be, have pure hearts. Lord, we want to stand before you one day and have you say to us, you were truly a man or a woman after my heart. Thank you. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need your help. So Lord, give us your spirit in such a way that we can do these three things. Obey you, trust you, and repent quickly. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Music team's just going to sing our last song. If you would like to come forward for prayer for any reason, I'm just going to hover down here. Uh, Apart from that, we'll see you out there for coffee. Thank you. So my hope is that this last song can be a prayer for us going forwards. Um as it really talks about about following and trusting God no matter what. Why don't you stand and sing with us?